Amen. Please be seated. If there's any Sunday buzzers still in here, I forgot to mention that earlier. Some of you already headed on out. You're welcome to that. Grades 1 to 6, the program on for you. And Sunday switch on for the high schoolers as well, grades 7 to 10. But we are really blessed to have a mother sharing with us this morning. Pastor Jody looks after our bridge care ministry, the women's ministry as well. Could you make her feel really welcome on her Mother's Day coming to share God's Word? As we start, let's bow in prayer. Jesus, we thank you. Thank you that we get to gather as family here today. Thank you that your presence is with us, that you speak to us as we meet around your word now. And I just pray that you'd open our hearts to hear from you, God. We're expectant to hear from you right now in Jesus' name. Amen. How many of you bought a card for your mum for Mother's Day? Are you one of those people when you buy a card who like has to see every card and pour over the words and, and find the one that's just right to capture your heart or will any old card do? Do you write to mum love from your name? Or do you write like a mini novel that just captures all of the feelings that you have and everything that you're thankful for about your mum. As a mum here this morning, I just want to say really up front, text messages saying Happy Mother's Day are good. I mean, this is the 21st century after all, but they're not the same as a card or a hug. Many of you are a long way from your mums today and can't be near her to give her a hug. Some of you are grieving mums today. One of the most beautiful things I think about being church here is that God has called us a family. You know, there is no perfect families here. We are just one big messy family and we embrace each other in the joys and the hardships of days like today. When Nathan said um, I could preach on Mother's Day and I didn't have to preach from Romans, the Roman series that we're in, I thought, why not share um, from one of my favorite Bible passages, Ephesians 3. Ephesians is this really beautiful letter that Paul writes. And I want to give you a bit of the backstory to this letter just to help you understand the depth of Paul's heart when he writes to these believers that he loves. It's kind of like a letter that he's writing, which is that very last Mother's Day card. If you knew that it would be your last, what would you say in it? What would you write? That's where Paul's coming from when we come to Ephesians, the book of Ephesians. So the backstory of that is that Paul is called and anointed by God to share the good news of Jesus. We read about his life and ministry in the book of Acts. Um, he's burdened not to share the gospel just with the Jews, but he wants to go to the Gentiles. He realizes that this message is for everyone to hear. No one is excluded from this message. And he goes throughout the Roman Empire. And as people come to faith, Paul encourages them to meet together and churches are established. And one of these churches is in the city of Ephesus in the province of Asia in the Roman Empire. It's a massive city. It's a huge, big, flourishing, great city. Um, Paul met some friends, Aquila and Priscilla. You might have heard about them. 
um, as you read the Bible, and they're already in Ephesus, and, and there's this great work of God starting. So Paul jumps on the bandwagon and gets there to join this amazing work. And in Acts chapter 19, the Bible tells us that God gave Paul the power to perform unusual miracles there. I don't think we read that about anywhere else in the Bible. Unusual miracles. Verse 12, I've often been amazed at this verse in chapter 19 of Acts. When handkerchiefs or aprons that had merely touched Paul's skin were placed on sick people, they were healed of their diseases and evil spirits were expelled. Wow. There was a revival taking place in Ephesus at this time. And Paul ended up staying there um, for a couple of years, but his stay actually got cut short. Almost, it sounds like a premature cut, cutting short of his ministry there. And it was cut short because a riot broke out. The silversmiths of the town of, in the city of Ephesus were outraged because their businesses were going um, bust, basically, because they were the ones that made the statues of the Greek god Artemis. And because this message of Jesus was spreading throughout the town, no one needed to buy statues anymore. They were believing in the one true God. Paul said their statues were worthless. Give them away. Um, and the silversmiths were going out of business. Wow, Jesus, send revival. I wonder what businesses would go out of, go bust. Um, but Paul's not too popular. He manages to escape. Um, but he escapes kind of leaving these people um, that he loves so deeply. And we get another insight into this relationship that he has with them. In the next chapter, chapter 20, the Holy Spirit tells Paul that he needs to actually go to Jerusalem and going to Jerusalem for him would mean trials and suffering and possibly death. And on the way, he goes, I, I need to make a stopover and send word to my friends in Ephesus to come and meet me at this stopover on my way to Jerusalem. And so they do that. And in chapter 20, Paul kind of shares with them this last moment. Um, it gives us an amazing insight into his relationship with them. He says, you know, from the day I set foot in the province of Asia until now, I have done the Lord's work humbly and with many tears. I feel like that line alone makes Paul perfectly able to identify with the work of mothers here this morning. Did you hear that? What job in the world takes more humility and tears than bringing up children. Do I hear an amen? Um, Paul, well, Paul actually says that planting churches is right up there. I don't know, we might have to get the okay from Pastor Pete on that one. Um, but Paul's sharing his heart here. He's pouring out his heart, tears for these people that he shared. Right at the end of this chapter, and it's a beautiful chapter, um, Paul says... Oh, sorry, picture this, verse 36. When Paul had finished speaking with these friends from Ephesus, he knelt and prayed with them. They all cried as they embraced and kissed him goodbye. They were sad most of all because he had said they would never see him again. Then they escorted him down to the ship. Do you get the picture of this relationship? 
Paul's journey does, in fact, lead him to suffering and imprisonment. And then the next record of contact we have between Paul and these believers in Ephesus is this letter that we have, the book of Ephesians, that he wrote to them from prison. And it flows out of this deep love that we get a picture of here in Acts. It's a rich vein of theological gold, let me tell you, that Paul writes from the confines of his prison cell in attempt to capture his heart. You know when you leave someone and then you think of all the things that you should have told them? It's like that's what this letter is for Paul. He's trying to capture all of these amazing truths that he wants them to just know and understand and impart to them, to hold on to. You know, I can almost um, picture Paul kind of writing this letter in tears, remembering what it was like when they were last together, kneeling down, praying, hugging in their last meeting. What do you write in a moment like that? What do you write when words just don't seem to be enough to capture everything on your heart to say? Well, thankfully, Paul was pretty good with words. And we can read what God put in his heart in this letter. And I encourage you, if there is a, is a time today that you could sit down and just read the book of Ephesians with a highlighter or a pen in your hand and underline this inc- these incredible truths that jump out to you, you will be blessed to read Paul's heart because I think this is the heart of God for us as believers today. Let's read from Ephesians, this prayer that sits right in the middle of Paul's letter. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14. Paul writes, When I think of all this, I fall to my knees and pray to the Father, the creator of everything in heaven and on earth. I pray that from his glorious, unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his Spirit then Christ will make his home in your heart as you trust in him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And you may have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ though it is too great to understand fully, then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Paul starts this prayer, when I think of all this, you have to actually read the chapters before this to appreciate what Paul is dwelling on and thinking about. And I just picked out a few things from my underlining of Ephesians. Chapter 1, verse 4, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. Verse 5, God adopted us into his own family by bringing us to himself in Christ. Verse 7, he is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. Verse 13, when you believed in Christ, he identified you as his own by giving you his Holy Spirit. Do you you see Paul's heart yet? Just dripping with incredible truths. This is what's on his heart as he's writing this prayer. 
He knows the heart and character of his heavenly father. This is the father he has shared with these believers in Ephesus. The father who has connected them all together as family, joined by his spirit, even though distance separates them. This is the father whom we too have come to call father alongside Paul, alongside these Ephesian believers. And these truths are our truths this morning as we call God our father here today. It is almost ironic, isn't it, that Paul is praying about God's glorious and unlimited resources when actually he's writing from a prison cell? What kind of glorious and unlimited resources can you talk about from there? Yet the trials and sufferings of life did not seem to deter Paul at all from his faith in who God is. The challenge of present circumstances seems to have little consequence or impact on Paul's view of God. Paul has a big view of God. It is beyond the lens of present circumstances. And as he writes this letter, it's almost like the prison cell is a contrasting backdrop for Paul's vision and description of God's riches Like the prison cell actually perfectly represents what riches on earth are like compared to the incomparable riches of our heavenly father. He talks about these riches. God has showered his kindness on us. God is so rich in mercy and he loves us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. The incredible wealth of his grace and kindness towards us is shown in all he has done for us who are united in Christ Jesus. God graciously gave me, Paul, the privilege of telling the Gentiles about the endless treasures available to them in Christ If you're a bit disappointed with your Mother's Day present this morning, Nat, if those bookmarks weren't just weren't cutting it for you today, just know the endless treasures in Christ that are yours today. Let's go on. I pray that from God's glorious, unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. What comes to your mind when you think about inner strength? In our household, um, at the moment, I have a son who is trying to work on his outer strength. There is a lot of time spent at the gym. There is a lot of trialing of protein powders and pre-workouts and post-workouts. And depending on whether we're bulking or cutting, There's not a lot of laughter here, so maybe I'm on my own watching on in this space. But depending on whether we're bulking or cutting, there are low carbs and high carbs and high proteins and lots of salad. Um, There's also a lot of posing and flexing (laughs) that goes on in my house right now, which I have to say is taking me a bit of an adjustment for me to get used to. I keep saying, Ryan... 
Man looks on the outside, but God looks at the heart. And as an 18-year-old boy, muscles are great. But as a mom, I can tell you, I care way, way more about what's going on in that boy's heart, what's happening in his inner being, than in his muscles. Paul's prayer here reflects a parent's heart, doesn't it? God's work peels back the outer layers and he sees who we really are. Do you need strength for your inner being this morning? Have any of you had these thoughts? How much longer can I do this for? How much longer can I go on like this? God, I need strength from you because I have nothing left. When we cry out to God for his spirit to come and fill us, empower us, he hears those cries and he carries us beyond what we know our strength can do. Paul has just written about this power that he's talking about and praying for these people in chapter 1, verse 19. He says, The incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe in him is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. Do I hear an amen? That's the power Paul is talking about that is available to us. That is some power, church. That is God's power for us here today. And if God's power raised Jesus from the dead, is there anything he can't do? When I think back to the stories in Acts and the the amazing power that God manifested by his spirit in that work in Ephesus, healings and deliverance, amazing signs of power. I sort of think that maybe it's a bit surprising that in this prayer of Paul, he isn't praying for more of these outward signs. Wouldn't outward signs be the thing that grows the church and builds the faith of the believers that he loves so much? But that's not what he prays for here. In Paul's prayer for these ones, he loves so deeply, he is praying for the greatest work of God's spirit, which is the powerful work that takes place in us. This is heart work, character work, deep inner work, at the moment of receiving Jesus, we, we receive God's spirit. Jesus comes and dwells in our hearts. But Paul is praying here for the power of the spirit indwelling to increase over time, to deepen us, that Christ would take over and fill us and keep filling us with his presence in our hearts. So much so that the By the Spirit's power, we actually start to think and act and look like Jesus. Imagine that. The picture that comes to mind is of someone who comes to live in your home. 
They might arrive with their suitcase and initially be designated to a bedroom. And at the beginning, they feel like a visitor. You know, they're polite and kind of very mindful of your space and where they're allowed to be. But then over time, as they feel welcomed and at home, you start to see evidence of their presence everywhere in the house. I'm not sure that's always a good thing, especially when it comes to socks and coffee cups. But with Jesus in our lives, it absolutely is a good thing. Every part of our lives becomes permeated with his presence. Over time, the power of the Spirit at work in us is renewing and refining and reforming our hearts, our thoughts, our attitudes, our motivations. God's Spirit shapes us to be more and more reflecting outwardly what Jesus is doing inwardly. This is one of the two things that Paul sees as so important to share with these believers that he loves. What does Jesus taking up residence in your life look like? What will it look like in 10 years or 20 years? Are you willing for your inner being to become home for Jesus? We come to the second part then of Paul's prayer. He prays your roots will grow down into God's love. Now that you've been strengthened by this power in your inner being, that with roots in God's love, you'll be kept strong, held strong. And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to fully understand. Paul goes on to say that the the foundation in our lives that makes all the difference is God's love. Do you know how much God loves you today? When my kids were little, we used to play this game at bedtime where we'd come up with creative ways of expressing how big our love is. So I might say, I love you as many as the trees in the whole world. And then my son would say, I love you as many as the leaves on the trees in the whole world. Then I might say, I love you as many as the ants in the whole world. And he might say, I love you as many cars as there are. You get the, you get the picture, right? We just, the point is that um, there's a lot of it in the whole world and that you can't repeat what someone else has said. Um, random creative ways of sharing love in our family. Well, one day Ryan and I were, um, we used to do this at bedtime and he was about five years old at the time and he came out with this, mom, I love you as many as the grains of sand on all the beaches in the whole world. Oh. At that moment, Stephen was walking past and heard it and popped his head in and went, oh, Ryan, how much do you love me? And Ryan shot straight back with six. And Stephen thought, well, the grains of sand on six beaches is a lot of grains of sand. That's pretty good. And Ryan went, no, 
six grains. <laughs> Poor Stephen. It took a while to recover from that blow. Our human giving and receiving of love can be so distorted. In our brokenness, it is hard for us to love when others are not serving us or pleasing us or meeting up to our expectations of what love should be. The good news is that God's love is not like that. It is not dependent on us. He loves unconditionally and infinitely. It is his heart and character and nature to love. God is love. Paul says that love changes everything. We heard it last week in Andrew's message in Romans 3. We are not striving and performing to deserve God's love. He's poured out his grace and forgiveness because of his kindness in his love for us. I had a revelation recently about the father's love in the prodigal son's story. You know, in the midst of um, loving my adult children who are making their own decisions in life and me learning to let go in the midst of all of that, God keeps filling me with this incredible love for them. And I'm almost surprised. I've almost been surprised by how much I, I can love by God's grace, in this season of parenting adult children. And I had this revelation about it from God. You see, I always thought that I could only be loved by God when I was doing the right thing for him. And I thought that in that story of the prodigal son, the father loved the son because the son had made a good decision to repent and return home. I'd seen the embrace of the father in that moment as love in that approval of the son's response, the son's decision and action. But God spoke to me and said, that's not love in this story at all. Love comes from the father who loves his son from the moment he's born. And even while his son walks away, the father loves. The father loves the son when he's making bad choices. He's the father who watches and waits in love. He prays in love, no doubt, longing in love for his son to be in his arms again. He's the father who was running first with open arms in love toward the son while he was still far off before any words of I'm sorry had been formed. God's love is far beyond our capacity to understand love. The cross is such a visual image of the heights and depths and width and breadth of love that God showed to us through Jesus and his son, can you imagine, can you fathom the love of a God who leaves the wonders and riches of heaven to step into our mess, to sacrifice his own life, to forgive sinners, to reconcile them to himself, to draw them into his family and call them his children 
his sons and his daughters. Paul is praying these believers could know something that he knows they will actually never be able to understand in in the finiteness of their human limitations. But even so, it is important that Paul prays for the Spirit's power to somehow impress this upon us, awaken us to it, so that our hearts would be changed, not just by the knowledge of it, but by the experience of it. Karl Barth, a Swiss Reformed theologian of the early 19th century, was apparently on a lecture tour in the United States speaking to seminary students, and someone asked a question, what is the greatest thought that has ever gone through your head? Now, most of the things I've read about Karl Barth I've never understood, so I wasn't really expecting to understand this question, understand this response, but listen to this. To a room of seminary students who were no doubt waiting for some great theological insight that would blow their minds, he said, my greatest thought, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Is this not the most simple and most profound thing you will ever hear? Oh, that we'd be captured by this love again. Oh, that it would bring us to our knees in awe and worship. That we would be swept up in it, moved deep in our souls again and again by it. This magnificent truth that we are loved by a heavenly Father. That God would rewrite the experience of broken and imperfect love that so many of us have encountered in our world and open us up to his healing this morning. Open us up to his spirit's power to reveal his love in a new way that we might receive it, be transformed by it. Paul finishes this beautiful prayer with these words. As the band come on stage, I want to read them to you. Now all glory to God, who is able, through his mighty power at work within us, to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Glory to him in the church and in Christ Jesus, through all generations, forever and ever. Amen.
sing that again. Come with a childlike faith. Receive the love of our Saviour. Jesus loves me this Just in this moment, we would just want to pray. I just encourage you to put your hands, if you're comfortable, just put your hands out in a, in a way just to receive from God right now. Jesus, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your heart for us. We thank you that you are doing a work in us by the power of your Holy Spirit to refine us and shape us and renew us, God, not just as individuals, Lord, but corporately as your people in this place. Lord, we ask that you'd fill us with love today, that you'd pour out your healing, that that we might reflect you, Jesus, and that your love would flow. In your precious name we pray, amen.
has never been, there will never be a God like you, love so true, there has never been, there will never be a God here this morning and you've had a touch of his love in your life for the first time there's a passage of scripture that captures just how great his love is it says these words for God so loved the world God so loved you that he would give his only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life I encourage you, if that's you on this journey this morning, you've had a touch of his love for the first time, to keep pursuing, keep seeking after it, keep coming and sharing with us. We'd love to encourage you on that journey because his love is amazing. Lord, we thank you for your infinite, unconditional love that you have shown so clearly to us, most clearly, through giving your own son for us. Die on the cross in our place that we might have everlasting life in you. This is good news. And so, Lord, we pray your blessing on each one this day. Bless us as we continue to share together, we pray. Bless each one, each family, I ask. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. If you'd like prayer in some way, our prayer team be down the front or our prayer lounge, our connections lounge. If you're online as well, we'd love to connect with you. You can reach out to us. 
through the uh, email channels there as well or reach out to your host Chris this morning as well but God bless thanks so much for sharing with us